strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. So the state of Texas has spent over $12 million to bus migrants to sanctuary cities. Greg Abbott, the governor, is sparring with the mayors of New York and with the mayor of uh, mayors of New York and Chicago. Um, both of those cities are self-designated sanctuary cities. And so I don't I really don't understand the problem. I'll be I, and I mean that sincerely. I'm not being sarcastic other than they're from different political parties. If these are people that are stuck in migrant camps in South Texas and they want to go to Chicago and you're a sanctuary city that is welcoming people into your city no matter what, what is the problem? Uh, there are around, they say there's around 2,800 people that have been dropped off in New York and I laughed at that number because that's nothing compared to what Arizona and Texas have been dealing with. That is the part of this that is so infuriating is that when you when you hear them talk about busloads of people, you would think that we're talking about thousands and thousands of people, and it's just not true. It's compared to what Arizona and Texas have been dealing with. It's a very small number, but it's obviously sending a message because resources. And I know that they are limited for everyone, but resources are being used up for people and they are being overwhelmed because of the flow of people coming into their cities that are coming from Texas and Arizona. I want you to hear this number. I I promised this. That I would play this. This is the number of undocumented immigrants that have come into New York and Arizona. We talked about that. But there is how many of them are coming into the country? The Department of Homeland Security admitting it has work to do in securing the U.S. southern border. The U.S., though, set to surpass more than two million encounters along the border by the end of the fiscal year. Isn't that interesting? And here is also how the demographics have shifted. Um, It used to be the overwhelming number of people that were crossing our border were from Mexico or from what they also call those those triangles, the northern triangles of of uh, of countries, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador. Um, But now what they are seeing is increasing. This is from Yuma, Arizona, that they are breaking people up as their nationalities. Uh, People are coming from Venezuela, Colombia, Haiti, Cuba, Brazil, India and Cameroon, just to name a few. They are uh, they have Romanians in their midst, uh, Russians that are coming. And so we are seeing people from all over the world that are getting into Mexico and then walking north across our border. So uh, Ted Cruz has invited the uh, – when I say invited, has suggested that the White House press secretary go down to the border and see for herself because she denied that people are just walking across the border and that's not how it's happening. And and so Ted Cruz said, why don't you just come down to the border and see for yourself? So I've been to the border. I went in 2018. I stood outside facilities where the Trump administration was separating families, tearing babies out of their mother's arms. Some of those kids still haven't been reunited with their families. And so one thing I I will say is I certainly don't need lectures or invitations from Republicans about the border or uh, border policies. And I certainly won't take advice on border from, from anyone who voted against securing record level of funding for the Department of Homeland Security. And, you know, and while folks are sending invites, I'll use this opportunity to to invite him or anyone else uh, next time to vote for record funding uh, for DHS as President Biden has uh, has requested. 
So remember, record funding for DHS. Um, so we have, let's just start there. I'm gonna, the, the, the absolute deflection of talking about what happened in 2018. So let me, let me give my deflection. It's funny, I was at the border in 2009. I was down in McAllen, Texas, when the unaccompanied minors were coming, where their parents were giving these children over to the cartels to bring their children to America. I was in McAllen, Texas for days while that was happening. I saw those original cages that were being built, not by the Trump administration, by the Obama administration. So there's plenty of blame. And if you want to kick the can, you can kick the can. President Biden is the president of the United States. He sets the policies. Now let's go to the other thing she said about the record funding. Two things. Two things. We have just spent or are going to spend at a minimum three hundred billion, probably closer to a trillion dollars in in relief for student loans. We also are taking billions of dollars to hire eighty seven thousand armed IRS agents. Why don't you make those border agents? Uh, Again, this is. The the pure deflection that's happening, and I think what bothers me about this more than anything else is I think most people are upset about it. Most people are frustrated by it. This is pure politics. And so if the rebuttal – and I, I if this is your rebuttal is, well, the Republicans do it too, I will admit to you they absolutely do, and it's frustrating when they do it. But we are looking at a situation where we switched horses – A couple of years ago, we have a different president that was going to fix this problem. He was going to shut down the virus, not shut down the country. It's not what happened. He's going to fix the border issue. He's made it worse. You can't run away from these things. You can keep deflecting and say what Trump did was bad. Okay, let's say for the sake of argument, what President Trump did at the border was bad. So let's talk about that for a moment. Over two years ago, right? Or about two years ago. The uh, president of the United States um, took over, and we were going to reunite all of these families. Well, why haven't these families been reunited? It's been an abysmal failure. I'm looking at a story. If you remember the story about the, uh, the, the Haitian migrants that were supposedly whipped by agents, which didn't happen, by the way um, – But in the story, there was a woman from Haiti that was in America, and she was in a in Del Rio, Texas, in a makeshift camp while they were awaiting, um, you know, there was some processing. But they were in like this makeshift, what they said, squalid conditions. She had a sick and hungry child. She walked back across the Rio Grande into Mexico to go to a store to buy whether it was food or medicine or both for her child. She walked back into Mexico to get what she needed. Then she tried to cross back into the United States. This is a problem that every one of us should be paying attention to. This is not something that human beings should be doing to each other. The answer is not going to be open the border because it still doesn't solve the problem with the huge influx of people. There needs to be a legal and orderly process for people to come into this country. And we should let as many people into this country as we can. I agree with that immigration reform stance. But it's got to start with border security, and every American instinctively understands that. And when you try to do this kind of dance that they're doing, it's insulting because logically it makes no sense. 
And so when she said when she uses the opportunity to bash the previous administration, which has nothing to do with what's happening at the border right now. It shows you that either they don't have answers or they don't want to answer, and it's wrong in both cases. We get you caught up in a moment. It's called Did You Hear This? We'll do that next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, time to catch you up on the biggest stories of the day. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Former Secretary Hillary Clinton was on ABC's The View today and commented on the treatment of documents found at Mar-a-Lago. It should concern every American because those documents and the empty folders, as Uh they were marked, suggest that there was really important secret information that is uh, essential to our country's defense and security. What do you think about the statement? I I think the only thing more ridiculous than Hillary Clinton talking about... uh, secure documents, the only thing that would be more ridiculous if her husband gave relationship advice. I mean, let's be honest. Um, Hillary Clinton was not exactly uh, great with key documents and and, uh, of all the people in the world that they would have on to talk about this, it makes sense for that show to put her on, but everybody else has got to be shaking their head and wondering why in the world she would be the person that they went to to talk about this. There is a new estimate on how many border encounters we could see this year. The Department of Homeland Security admitting it has work to do in securing the U.S. southern border. The U.S., though, set to surpass more than 2 million encounters along the border by the end of the fiscal year. How should we be securing our southern border? There are a lot of different ways in what we should have been doing for a long time. We are uh, so technologically advanced now. Part of it is going to be technology. There's no doubt about that. We also have to remember that tribal land, uh, it, it straddles the border, and we we don't have access to tribal land. We have agreements with the tribes or with the tribe, the Tohono Odom Nation, but we do not have access to that land per se. But where we do have control, there's places where a wall or structures make uh, make it very hard for people to cross into our country. Not impossible, but it makes it much harder. And in the areas where that's impossible, we do need technology, drones and sensors and otherwise. But we also need more border enforcement agents to be able to process the people that are here now and still secure the the border and try to stop the flow of drugs. So it's people, it's technology, and it's structure. And it's all in differing places or in differing amounts in differing places. That's the way to attack this. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the big headlines. Seattle public school teachers are on strike today, and one educator explains what they want. Number one, student supports. Making sure that all kids are receiving the supports so that they can learn in the way that they learn best. Also making sure that class sizes, class loads, workloads are appropriate. And finally, fair pay. Are these reasonable asks (laughs) by the teachers? We want support for students, and until we get it, we're not going to show up and support the students. So, again, this shows you, I'm sorry, this is not all teachers. I'm sure that there are a lot of teachers that want to be in school. This is the politics of education. When I say to people that it's that's what's ugly, I I love educators. I hate the politics of education. Can you imagine? Same thing. We're short staffed uh, in the police department. Phoenix PD is 
is still dramatically understaffed. I would say they're underfunded as well. I, they could use a lot more support than they have. Can you imagine cops walking off the job? It's illegal. Just like in Arizona, it's illegal for teachers to do it, but they did the sick out stuff. Now in Seattle, they're standing up for kids by not showing up. Tell me that makes sense. GCU women's rugby head coach Lindsay Mahoney and team captain Danielle Cilio joined the show today, and Coach Mahoney described the culture they are trying to achieve. I think character is everything, and for us, culture is everything. We know we can build rugby players. Uh, we know we can build athletes, but it's building people that's most important to us. Is this the most important part of athletics? Yeah, I will tell you that I have been such a strong proponent for organized sports if, uh, because it just teaches kids so many life lessons. I'll be really honest with you. All the isms can go away. Um, uh, racism. I grew up in the South in the 70s. You know, late 70s is when I moved to Southwest Florida. And so I know what racism looks like. I'm not blind, but I also played organized sports where it did not exist, where the players that were best equipped to win a game played on Saturdays. We played our games on Saturdays when I was in Pop Warner and then on Fridays in football. It is a great equalizer. It teaches people to get along from different backgrounds. It forces people to work for a common goal. And what it does when it's done the right way, when there are coaches that demand excellence, it builds character in young men and young women. And that's what I love most about organized sports is it takes young people, many of them without good adult role models, and those coaches become the role models of excellence, and they give them a path to excellence, and they show them how to grow and how to work together. You forget the wins and losses. You really do. All the sadness of losing a big name game goes away when you get older. All the excitement of winning a big game, even if you win a state championship. The trophy gets stuck somewhere or you even lose it. You never forget the lessons you learn and that's what we should always remember about organized sports. Uh, great job, Julia. And yeah, I have been a, such a proponent of organized sports my whole life. Um, and it wasn't so much that I played because I gave up sports at about 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old. I wrestled, I guess, in high school. So I played a little longer. But um I gave it up because I wanted to grow up and be an adult. I, I, so I did, I did it all wrong. Um, but when I started coaching my younger brother's teams, he's seven years younger than me, so I kind of stepped into that role of coaching his teams. The guys I coached with, they took me under their wing and taught me how to coach. But what they also did was taught me the same lessons they were teaching those young football players and baseball players. And um, I'll never forget them. I'll, I'll, I will never forget the fun we had and that being in a locker room with a group of people together and feeling like it's us against the world, that we had each other's backs. And let's be honest, when you get that many people in a room together, there are going to be some relationships that will never work out outside of the locker room. But when you're all wearing the same uniform and you're all pulling in the same direction, there's something special about that. And there's something special about the lessons you learn about each other that it doesn't matter what your home life is like, doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter what color your skin is, doesn't matter what religion you are. What matters is we are all on the same team. And couldn't we all use a little bit of that right now in our country? I wish we all had more of that to rely on. Uh, we're going to talk uh, public education in a moment, the Gallup survey of why people are upset about public education and test scores in the state of Arizona. Next. Next. 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, we're going to talk in a moment about this uh, public education system, and I think a lot of this is going to kind of tie together. I want to I want to finish a thought that we were talking about in, in uh, Did You Hear This? And it's about team sports. I know that there is a major push in public schools now, whether it's gender identity or it's race or bullying or whatever it is that we are trying to defeat. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but it has taken over in so many ways in front of education. And I I still believe that organized, whether I say sports, but any kind of an organization where you're pulling in the same direction as a team, when you put people together, they drop. I'll give you an example. Um, that I, I heard Alice Cooper say this. I, I was interviewing him um, a few years ago, and he was opening up the art center in his teen center where they teach music. But they also have an art center now that's amazing. And uh, so I got to go down and see it and tour it and talk to him and interview him. It was pretty uh, pretty incredible. But I heard him talk about music in the way I've talked about sports. And he said, when you put an in- instrument, a musical instrument, in a kid's hand, um, everything – goes away except the music. It doesn't matter what color you are. doesn't matter how many parents are in your house. doesn't matter how much money you have. None of it matters. It's about the music. And I thought that's everything I've been saying about organized sports my entire life is you just – you feel like you're contributing to something bigger than yourself. You're forced to contribute to something bigger than yourself. You're forced to think outside of yourself and and, and uh, uh, self-preservation, and, and you – it is a, a badge of honor to help the team. So I want to share a story that I've, I've, I've shared many times, and it's one of my proudest memories of my brother. Um, as most of you know, I lost a brother in Iraq back in 03. Um, so when my, my brother was killed on Memorial Day of 03, in May of 03, and then um, fast forward five years in 2008. So imagine the distance between 1987 when he was a senior in high school and 2008. And uh, I got a phone call from a stranger, a guy I didn't know. His name's Bruce. And he said, I was a freshman in high school when your brother was a senior. And um, your brother always looked out for us. And it made me cry um, because then he went on to tell me that they had gotten the school district and my high school that I went to and Tom went to to rename the football stadium after my brother. And all of these guys that were freshmen and guys that played on the team with my brother in 1987, uh, they did all the work. They raised all the money. They were contractors. They built a memorial sign. They built a new scoreboard signage. They did all this stuff themselves out of the goodness of their heart, their own expense. And it was an incredible honor. But when my brother was killed in 2003 at his funeral, um, I was surrounded by some of uh, by all of the wives and girlfriends of the guys he served with. And his lieutenant was there because he was one of the people that was injured in the firefight and the guy that escorted him home. And they took us outside and they told my brother, my my surviving brother and I, they told us the story of what happened that night. And I'm not going to tell the entire story, but what they said standing there in their uniforms was what we will always remember about your brother as he looked out for us. Pretty remarkable that what was said about an 18-year-old kid on a football field in 1987 is what soldiers said about him after a battlefield that took my brother's life in 2003. 
So you want to talk about building character. You want to talk about being dedicated to a cause bigger than yourself. Now, at 18 years old, the biggest cause hopefully we ever think about would be winning a game in a football field. And and that would be the level of competition that you'd risk your body for your friends. But it's the same life lesson that when you swear an oath to defend your country that carried my brother into that situation and on the battlefield that gave him the courage. He was just a courageous man anyway. But what a story of of a timeline of the character that's built. So I love the game of football, and I'm a fan like everybody else is, and I'm a Cardinal season ticket holder, and I'm a Miami Hurricane for football season, and always will be. But I also miss being on the sidelines and I miss being in the locker room because that sense of team, that sense of us against the world and we're all pulling in the same direction and we win together and we lose together. Imagine that scenario where you get to win with grace. You learn to win with grace and you learn to lose with dignity and it doesn't matter. No one's life is ruined. You know, my, my brother in high school had some huge disappointing losses. They went to the state finals twice and lost both times in the state finals. And um, it's heartbreaking. But I don't even mean I don't even remember the heartbreak. Man, I remember the journey. I remember the kids he played with. I remember the kids that played on the teams I coached. And so my, my point in all of this is as we're talking about earlier and we're talking now about people's dissatisfaction with public schools, uh, the numbers don't lie that we are failing our children in the classroom. But if we really want well-adjusted young men and women, look at the society we live in. We have been so divided and pushed apart from each other because of COVID for so long. Whether you agree it was the right thing to do or not, that's what happened. It shouldn't just be in a classroom where it's individual, where you're sitting in a classroom, you're doing your work, you're getting your grades. Kids need to be involved in in uh, socialized. They need to be in a situation where they have to count on the person next to them, and the person next to them has to count on them. In a situation that in the end doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, I can tell you some disappointing losses that we had and some significant wins that we've had, but I will always remember the journey. I still have kids that played for me in the 1980s. They were kids in the 1980s that now have kids of their own that are playing sports, playing football, that still call me coach on social media. And it is, and I haven't been a coach in decades. It is still the most significant title next to dad or papa for my grandkids that I can think of. Because you're making a difference in people's lives, if it's done the right way. Now, we know that there are coaches and parents out there that take Little League sports as a religion and they're you know screaming at their kids and cheating. And we know that happens. But the vast majority of people that are doing it are doing it to invest in the character of a young person and show them how to be a person of character. When you win a big game, you don't go up and get in your face to other people. You win with grace. When you lose, you walk across the field and you shake that other person's hand and you wish them well and you congratulate them on the win. No matter how bad it hurts, you go back in the locker room, cry, throw your helmet, whatever. On the field, you you show respect and you, you learn to defeat racism. You learn to defeat sexism. You learn to de- defeat the anti-gay, anti-whatever stuff. And instead of us uh, focusing on that in a classroom setting and reading it in a book, make them live it. Make them live it. And now we shift. We're going to shift back to the school part of this. Then in the classroom, we can focus on teaching them how to learn. And that's what I'm going to do to finish the show is we have um, the scores 
that in grades three through eight, we are missing the market well over 50% of kids not passing in English and not passing in math. And we've got to figure a way to, sh- uh, to straighten this out. And so um, I'm a huge proponent of organized sports, and I think that they are a part of the huge part of the development of young men and women. And I think we're missing it. I think we're losing out on a lot of it. And I hope we get it back as fast as we can. So we'll finish off the show with those numbers coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks uh, for spending some time with the show. I kind of went on a bit of a rant about sports in school because I think a lot of the life lessons we want our children to learn are learned that way. Uh, But there is dissatisfaction with public schools. Satisfaction with U.S. education is dropping according to a Gallup survey. Um, Only 42% of Americans said they were completely or somewhat satisfied with K-12 education in the United States compared to 51% back in uh, 2019. Uh, Most parents who have children in K-12 education are satisfied with their children's education, according to the survey. Of those who are dissatisfied with public education, 65% highlighted issues with curriculum and educational standards. 28% mentioned lack of resources. And 17% mentioned political concern. And I think that's where the biggest, the drop is coming in this political concern after what we saw with online learning um, during COVID-19. And parents were shut up in the home with their kids who were online getting classes from their teachers. And they were seeing what some of the teachers were saying. And it's had parents asking questions. But it isn't when a crisis happens. It's how you handle the crisis that matters most. And I think it was mishandled by a lot of teachers, um, a lot of uh, uh, school boards. Um, I mentioned earlier the National School Board Association sent a letter to the White House demanding the FBI come to school board meetings calling parents domestic terrorists. That doesn't look good. That does not and, – and when you look at examples, where do you see examples of that even being close to a reality? Um, as a matter of fact, Scottsdale Unified School District, there's one now in California that are it's showing according to emails that it was actually the other way around, that the school boards were doxing parents that would dare question their authority. I do believe you're going to see a huge shift in school boards this coming year uh, and maybe even in the next election cycle after that because parents are fed up and realize these are nonpartisan offices, so you don't know the political leanings, nor does it, should it matter. But when it starts, when politics start to get in, in, in um, entering into a classroom um, or into the school system and the curriculum, there's a problem there. And, um, you know, Republicans are the one that show the biggest concern because when we're seeing examples And there aren't many on the other side. They probably exist, but we haven't seen many of them where you are seeing a teacher that is very far right in a public school that is ranting and raving and holding children to a far right standard. What we have seen is the other side of that is what's getting the attention. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. And if you want to send me the examples, I'd love to read the stories. But I am not saying that it's completely one sided. But teachers – And these are the teachers that I talk to are the ones that also are tired of politics in the classroom. They just want to teach. They don't want to be held to a political standard. First responders are the same way. Everybody's got an opinion. You know what I mean? Everyone has an opinion. What they don't want to have to do is agree with an opinion at school or have to – 
feel as if they are going to be ostracized if they don't subscribe uh, or at least are not engaged to the degree that others think they should be politically. That's what we need to get out of schools. If you look at the teachers' unions, the major teachers' unions, the AFT and the NEA, they donate to causes that are largely on the left side of the aisle by huge margins, huge margins. Are they allowed to? Absolutely. But when they bring the ideology into the classroom and when you know that it's happened, parents are upset. They have options and they're going to seek out those options. Parents are going to look for options where politics is not the rule of the day. Their children go to school to get an education. And that's it. That's it. As far as morality goes, it belongs in the home. And so parents are dissatisfied. They are looking for other options. In Arizona, again, the explosion of charter schools, micro schools, homeschooling. If the schools were doing their job, these are not crazy parents. And that's the the characterization that I hate so much, that when a parent says, I don't want this for my child anymore. I want an option because I don't like what's I this isn't right for my child. They are labeled an extremist. Well, I don't think homeschool parents are extremists. I think they got to do it. They want a different option for their child. If they don't like the answers they're getting in a school setting, putting their child in a charter school or another school doesn't make them an extremist. And calling them an extremist just shows how out of touch some people are in education. There needs to be, by the test scores, the numbers don't lie. Well under 50% of children in grades 3 through 8 are not performing at math level that they should and not performing in English as they should. That should scare the heck out of all of us. All of us. And we should want to do something about it. And it's not just money. I mean, the answer to this is going to be more money after. It isn't just money. Money's a piece of the puzzle. But it's oversight and accountability, too. And that's another thing that there are some in the politics of education that they don't want. And it's something that's got to change. All right. We'll be back tomorrow morning just after 8 o'clock. We would love to have you join us for part of your day as well. So I'll be back tomorrow morning. Until then, have a great day, everyone. God bless.